KBFA Community Radio. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover. Welcome to Cover to Cover, Open Book Javelin's Bistro. I am your host today, and a happy holidays to everybody that's listening and everybody you want to say it to, pass it on for the happy and safe holidays. And some of you are shopping, some of you are wrapping gifts, some of you are hanging out under the mistletoe to get those sweet kisses, others are donating, and others, I'd like to think is going to the theater. The theater, a place that I want to believe deeply in my spirit that offers us the template to look at the world and how to be in the world. And for many of us, how to be human. We always take that for granted because we walk upright, because we are born, that we know how to be human. But really, we learn to be human through consciousness and about being conscious and sometimes we pray I do that it happens when I go to the theater that I'm learning how to be human how to be alive how to be awake how to do this journey together that's one of the gifts that's one of the gifts so what better holiday gift can I bring you than to bring you a conversation that I'm going to have today of the writer of One Google and One, as well as the co-director, the writer of One Google and One, which is through the Bat Cold Theater, and that's at Brava Theater, and we'll give you more information about that as we talk today. Ade Pierzada, and I've shared with them to make sure that when they get on the air to pronounce it right. And the co-director, Marcelo Javier Pereira. I didn't get that right. But he's helped directing the play. They're here with me today. Good afternoon to both of you. Good afternoon. Thank you for having us here. You are most welcome. So the play has been running for three weeks. And the and how's things going? And first, tell us what this play is about. Um, well, this play is it's a very intersectional play, so it's about many things, and that's something that we really value about it is that um, it, there's a lot of different characters that come from different points in history, and um, so you can kind of have your own takeaway in a lot of ways. But it centers on. Um, the character, the central character from the Arabian Nights, Shahrazad, um, who, if you don't know the story of the Arabian Nights, it's a collection of folk tales um, that are strung together by a frame tale in which um, there is a khalif who, um, so a king um, in a sort of mysterious, uh, mythical Central Asian place, um, and uh, he 
has been cheated on by his wife and for as vengeance for this he decides to marry a new bride every night and have her killed in the morning so that he can marry a new bride and he'll that way he'll never be hurt again by women and so the daughter of his closest advisor decides to marry him and she has a plot in which she tells him stories that never end um, or that have stories within the stories and for a thousand and one nights so the saying goes um, she tells him stories and because the stories don't end and they're so engaging he can't send her to die um, and at the end of this at the end of Elf Laila Walaila like that's my botched trying to say it in Arabic um, at the end of 1001 Nights he is changed and he decides not to let her die and so the play centers in on uh, this character in a modern amalgamation a modern re-envisioning re of what this character would be like if she existed now um, which in our play is a contemporary um, Muslim American student at an elite white university I mean elite white university what does that mean at an elite university that is not very diverse which is not hard to find in this country <laughs> and um and she's in a world history class and so her khalif is her world history professor um and so while shahrzad fights for her actual like blood and life um Shahar is fighting for narrative life and fighting for a vision of herself in the past and therefore in the future. Um, and so as Shaher is learning in her history class, she's also kind of reading the Arabian Nights. And so we see the play flickers back between that story and um, and her story. And as the play continues, the stories that Shaherzad is telling and the stories that Shaher is um, learning about are connected um, from her history class. Fascinating concept that you brought this into and I think a lot of people going off to school and schools that are not as inclusive as one would like them to be and it is still prevalent in the United States in fact I did a workshop about three weeks ago and the workshop was intended for uh, uh, white women to look at their hysteria and the narrative of, of calling the police on black and brown people and out of that workshop, two women of color showed up, and they showed up because they wanted to to find ways to, both of them, college students, and they showed up at the workshop saying they wanted to find ways in which to survive because at their school, mm -hmm. they were one of the only women of color and in this particular class, and so this, this, if I had have known this, I would have sent them to your play as a, as a space. And by the way, when I, we talk about sending to plays, there are going to be four giveaway of tickets, and I'm going to open up the lines for that in about 15, well, less than 15 minutes, but open the lines up for the callers to call and get four sets of tickets for, that's eight tickets all together, so one caller gets two tickets, two callers, and so on and so on. And the number, I'll give it to you now, and I'll let you know the phone lines will be open 510-848-4425 that's 510-848-4425 what created that space in you to want this particular play as a writer and director right now for you in your life well we've been working on the play I've been working on this play for I guess six years now um, I originally wrote it um during my time at Carnegie Mellon University where I studied acting and um, 
we did it as part of a new work festival that we have at the school called Playground. And it's a really exciting process in which you have a very short amount of time and you work with all of your peers that really speak the same artistic language as you because you all have very, you know, you all have the same training. Um, And originally me and our producer, Ron Neal Jackson Jr., also the co-founder of SF Bay Area Theater Company, um, he he and I created it together, and it was a collection of folk tales from all around the world that were strung together, just like in the Arabian Nights by the story of Shahrzad. Um, and um, we found it so deeply empowering. We were like, wow, it's so cool to imagine spaces, um, mythical spaces or historical spaces where there are other people of color. Um, growing up, you know, being a 90s kid, you know, in a pre-Moana pre-Black Panther, pre-Tiana world, um, you know, you sort of had Pocahontas and Mulan, and we were, (laughs) those were very problematic in many ways and kind of exoticizing images as much as I still watch and love those movies. And so with Aladdin is, you know, they have these weird things. And so part of, for us, part of seeing ourselves in the world was seeing ourselves in folktales. But our peers... Um, our, uh, most of our peers and most of our faculty uh, that saw our work in the original production like totally didn't get that. So they loved what we did, but the level of empowerment that we found in telling like a simple story from a non-Eurocentric backdrop um, was completely missed by them. And so I realized that the real story that interested me was what it meant to be searching for your own representation in history and that's a struggle that I know a lot of a lot of young black and brown kids face um in you know when you're studying in an institution we learn literature and poetry and history almost in from a perspective of oppression and most of uh, it's very easy to like go through school and do your best and and even to excel in a lot of ways and still only hear about works and only see representation that is exclusive of you as like a non-white person or that was built on systems that oppressed you and so that was a constant like battle for me was I want to see representation of like awesome historical figures that that come from my DNA um, because they existed but we don't really learn about them that often and you decided to take this upon yourself to write it and Marcelo how did you jump into the project well um so you're directing the play right yeah Aida and I we're, we co-directed this play um which has been such a process. It has been so much fun. It's we've both pulled out our hair probably quite a bit. I'll, I'll probably be bald by the end of this run. It's okay. There's a lot of I hair. I have, a lot, you have hair. a lot of hair. For those at home, I have a lot of hair. The listening audience, he has a lot of dark, beautiful, curly, oh, wavy hair. Well, thank you. Hair is important. Um, I ooh, uh, I came onto this project. Um, my co-founder, who Aida was mentioning earlier, Rodney Earl Jackson Jr. We both grew up here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, um, doing theater as children. And uh, when we went off to college, uh, we we went our separate ways, but kept in contact. And in the summer of 2012, um, we met back up in New York City where they had brought uh, the first or the second iteration of this project then titled Scheherazade um, to the New York City Fringe Festival. I had just graduated from school. I went to Syracuse University um, and stayed in New York City, uh, which, well, stayed 
it was a five hour drive, but close enough. Um, and I was there producing my own work at the time. Um, and so I had the pleasure of seeing that iteration of it, which was 45 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. it was a 45 minute project because it was capped uh, by the Fringe Festival. Um, and I was just completely blown away by it. I was sitting there just clutching my knees the entire time, being like, this is some of the best theater i have ever seen and it was only what 45 part, minutes so let's just just take a pause what is it like to tell us a moment in this piece where you where you maybe first started clutching your you know clutching your seat oh what's, what's honestly happening? it was the beginning it was as well what's happening tell us what's, what's the sure. listen what's happening well it, it it's funny because this was six years ago the project has evolved Pretty, pretty drastically, but it actually has somewhat of a similar opening. It was all of these bodies in these beautiful costumes just flooding the stage. Um, and I think it was at that moment of seeing such diversity. And this was before we were having these conversations in the entertainment industry of, oh, diversity is lacking and this, that, and the other. Um, of course, in the circles that we run in, that has always been the conversation. So to finally see it happening in front of me i was like oh my god consciousness the awakening of what you've been been hungering for forever absolutely what clutches you now as a director honestly it's the same thing it's being it's having the opportunity to work with i I don't even want to say a diverse cast because like what does that truly mean i guess Mm -hmm. diversity can mean so many things to different people but i think especially our, our main work as a theater company is to really try to put representation on stage for kids who grew up looking like me, that look like Aida, that look like my co-founder Rodney, um, and give them the opportunity to see faces that look like theirs and say, oh my God, I can do this too. And so as a director, being able to bring these people together and represent a community that I feel is being lost in the Bay Area as gentrification happens and outwards migration continues, um, to be able to to clutch hold of really talented artists and say, no, 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 I can't have you leaving. I need you for this production. I need you for this story. Please come play with us. Please tell this story. Please tell these stories of all of these people. Um, That's still what excites me and gets me up in the morning and makes me love my job. One of the things I found very interesting as I work with uh, different people throughout uh, the Bay Area and beyond is that even people who do not define themselves as coming from communities of color that would consider themselves white, they are begging to see, and this is children, begging to see others on stage because they are wanting to take the, the themselves out the center so that they can learn about who they are in truth and not being f- born into a center and everything else mm. is other and they're seeing the disruptiveness of their soul and parents that define themselves as white are now understanding that that is in many ways a, a, a break of spirit and mental health because you're supposed to hold up this world that has that's defining you as a white person and you're not seeing others and the diversity of others and that hunger. So there's a lot of folks want, wanting to experience uh, playwrights and performers so that they can feel the connectiveness. So this is, is, is very inclusive in that way from the folks that I've been talking to. And so how's this been running for two weeks? What's the, what are some of the things that audience members are saying? And I'm going to open up the phone lines. That's 510-848-4425. Remember, we're giving away for Friday night show. 
tell us a little bit about that details before folks start calling so they know exactly where they're heading. Sure thing. So um, we're performing at the Brava Theater Center. We're in the studio space. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes there's two shows happening and we're not in the main stage. We're in the studio yeah. space. Um, but if you come to 2781 24th Street at York, mm-hmm. the show starts at 8 p.m. Uh, parking is a little challenging in that area. So yeah. I, if, if you're driving, give yourself a little time for parking. Uh, it's definitely bartable, though. So for my folks coming from the East yeah, Bay, I live in Oakland now, too. So and shout out to my East Bay folk. And the food around there is really good, too. Oh, amazing. So it could be a whole project. And then, so that's Friday night, 8 o'clock show. Uh, and so that's 510-848-4425, 510-848-4425. And that's four sets of two tickets. And I hope I got that right. My dyslexia is at all-time high, and that's okay. That's actually one of the one of the <laughs> facets of the play is that the... so. Has the, the yes, the location um, is at Brava Theater. And what's the address again? 2781 24th Street. Yes, and that's near. Is, what, what bar station is it near? 24th Street. It's 24th Street Bar. 24th Street Mission. Mission, exactly. Okay, good. What were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say that our protagonist has a learning disability. Um, she has ADHD. But, um, so I was just relating that because you were saying my dyslexia yeah, is at an all-time really high. All time high. And that was like a fun thing for me to create was representing like women of color who are like have an imperfection and are dealing with it and trying to and what that means because so often like I feel like women of color are like when when there is representation, it's like you're a superhero and you withstand everything and have you're either completely flawed or are some kind of magical wonder woman which is amazing um but so that's part of part of the play is um that Chahar has a learning disability that she's Tell me how that on. plays itself out in, on on stage with her. Like, what's the snapshot so we can get a, a sense so, of this magical yeah. realism that's happening that is that is been by the critics to saying that it's so relevant right now today and it's a exciting piece by people that have witnessed the play. Tell us an example snapshot. Well, so the inciting sort of incidents of the play are Chahar has arrived at college alone um, and she gets there and she realizes like I'm getting so much work I need help um, and in trying to get her help she has to in trying to get help for ADHD she has to talk to all of her professors and ask for accommodations um, or you know a lot of they'll give you like a, a psychiatrist or the school will will say okay well you're gonna we're gonna help you figure out your learning disability here's what you give to your teachers to explain how uh how you need to be treated in class basically how you how how to handle you um meanwhile Shahrazad is this caliph is taking new brides every night there are people there are women that she knows women that she loves they're being killed um and so um meanwhile back in 2012 the play is set in 2012 and like 1012 <laughs> um so in 2012 Shahar goes to ask her history professor, you know, if he will set up a unique timeline with her because she has a learning disability that she's getting help with from the school, and that's what the university asks that he do. Um, and he's very unwilling to accommodate her. Um, but during their conversation, she talks a little bit about, like, some of her personal perspectives on the on the readings that they're doing in their history class and how it related to her to like mythology and so the way that the professor will accommodate her is he's like okay well you have to turn your assignments in on time just like everyone else but if you tell me a story like the one that you just told me then i'll accept it 
And so mm. the professor kind of makes a deal kind of like the Khalif in Shahrazad's world makes, which is that, like, I'll let you live if you tell me a story. Because grades are everything. The yes. Ac- is every, the academic journey becomes everything in your life, whether we know in hindsight that, no, it's not everything. Like, the birth of a child is not even the everything. But these, these places where you're at are everything. Yeah. Well, not only that, I think, and this is not to give away too much of the play, but at one point there's um, a part where Cher is talking to her mother um, trying to explain the situation and what's going on and the mother gets frustrated and, and shares like well you know this it's not really that big of a deal and the mother stops and says no it is a big deal it is, this affects your timeline it affects, it's not his grade it's your grade and it affects your scholarships and how you're able to function at yeah. this school and so I, I think some people may think that like they're like oh but it's just a grade like it, no one's life is at stake which is i think belittling to the experience that some people go through in the sense that no it's true if if you're there on scholarship which this character is yeah. and you can't meet the requirements if you can't afford to go to school and they take your scholarship away, that's your education. Yeah. And education is everything, especially to, in our communities where we're trying to lift ourselves out of certain situations. That that stake is very, very yeah. high. It's also about the control that, that can be like you know exercised by different people in in institutions and how like similarly to the Khalif that's like, well, what what can you like? Uh, yeah, someone putting someone in a position to fight for their life. And I think that that's, I think part of what relates it to me is that whether it's immediate life or death or not, there is still this element of control. And I think we wait too long to discuss, and we always wait until something's life or death to discuss that element mm-hmm. of oppression. And I, I think that part of what is interesting to me about this is discussing something that can actually be discussed. You know what I mean? We, I don't think we should be fighting for... To believe that people are human, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Everyone, need, we need to accept everyone's humanity and I tell stories from there. That, that needs to be repeated. Go back and say that again. Um, meaning that, like, you know, when we look at storytelling, we often will only accept like a narrative if it's like life or death. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, especially as a woman of color now, I I don't want to have to fight for my humanity. I think humanity needs to be a baseline that we're accepting people with. And even if they do horrible things or questionable things, that's still another human. And so the story is really written from a place of, like, this is, like, what an ordinary, like, ordinary person who could, could go through. And it's not, like, the... What, do you know what I'm trying to say? You know what? I th- well, let me just see if I'm getting this. That this person in this situation, instead of waiting until it becomes life and death, or let's just say she didn't articulate that these are my needs, and then the professor didn't hear the need and say, okay, I, we can negotiate. Yeah. And you can tell me a story, and then we'll negotiate that. So I'm not going to change when things are due. But this is what we're good because he was first going to just cut her off. And cutting her off could have. Now, I'll tell you what the death would have been in my imagination. Cuts her off. She fails. Loses scholarship. Mm -hmm. The trail begins to happen. She feels unworthy. She's not in college. And as you shared, uh, that then she then can't rise herself out of circumstances that could be a part of her, whatever those circumstances be. Then there's depression. Then there's addiction. Then there's just relationships. And it could be a dominoes effect. And then, then we see the film. Then the theater thing is like, 
uh, so-and-so jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge. Exactly, that's mm-hmm. what I mean. We're we saying, need, why don't we why look at, we look at the, 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 the intricate details yes. of humanity and accept that this is who this person is as a human being yes. and we work with that equation. Yes. This is fascinating. I like that. I like that you are that you are, are bringing that to the table in your work. That being human is just the basic reality where we're coming from, and we don't have to have tragedies to listen to a narrative. We can, we can play in the space of our vulnerabilities. Yes, to yes. play in the space of our vulnerabilities and and show those on stage. Okay, so we have a character who is that struggle. What other things are going on on stage? Ooh, where to start? Other things are going on. Anyway, anything that pops in your so head. Try essentially, the, as the as the story continues, as they move through their history curriculum, um, the stories that Shahar is turning in in her work are in relationship to that curriculum, and so we meet all these different characters throughout history that have to do with the development of the Silk Roads and um, the first voyages to the Americas um, and from the Western world and. Uh, <laughs> or even like in some instances from like the West African world. Yeah, th- that's what's represented in our story. Yeah, West um, Africa. So yeah, so we talk. We meet different historical figures. The first historical figure we meet is uh, I'm not going to say their name perfectly, but Zhang Chuen, um, who is an explorer who's was the f- the first emissary from China to travel what would become the the networks that became the Silk Roads, um, which was a vast like trade network that for thousands of years um, connected Asia and Africa and Europe. Um, and then l- the who's the next person we meet? The next we person. meet Savitri. Then we meet then we meet this mythical character from the Mahabharata, um, who is. It's the first story that Shahira tells, so it's very closely related to her. It's about a woman who is essentially chasing down the god of dharma to try and get her husband back. Um, and then, who's after Zhang? So this, so <laughs> let me just get this here. So the student is writing these papers mm-hmm. and telling these stories yes. to the professor, yes. who is so enchanted by her academic process that how they need to accommodate her learning challenge becomes less of a it becomes a thing that needs to happen for her and he's enthralled by what is happening for him as a professor in this academic space so my takeaway in this moment is that how many times in the world do we close a door to something that could be bringing the enrichment to our lives. How many communities do we shut off because of our own biases that they may have, again, as you would say, not the cure, we don't need to cure for, but they would have a cure for something that we really need for humanity. And this is what's happening with all these characters and her bringing this forth. You, You started as an actress, well, you went to school. What happened? You just woke up one day and said, to be or not to be, I will write it. <laughs> no, well, kind of, actually. That's basically the story, to be honest. Um, because there's representation. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a biracial person. So I'm, I'm half Pakistani and I'm half African American. And so there's not, there's no, there's no role for people in that it's true. unique demographic. Um, 
And so part of what inspired me to keep to start writing was finding ways to create more and more space. So go, coming up through acting acting school, people were like, you're exotic and you're going to play the Latina. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I love I love Latina characters, but I don't need to necessarily be the one to play them. And there be, need to be enough characters for everyone to play. Mm-hmm. So you also are very bold. <laughs> go ahead on. Go ahead. <laughs> so in the last minute, tell us, Marcelo, why people should come. What's happening this weekend, Friday night, the why they should be there? I mean, I think people need to come see themselves on stage or see the world around them on stage. Mm -hmm. I think so much of what Aida has written, again, is when you take away one lens, when you take away these stories of just out of one lens and you really try to see the broader picture, you see how you fit into the picture as well. And so I think it doesn't matter what your background is. You can come and you can observe this and go, oh, my God. Yes, there was a huge empire in this part of the world that I never even considered. And and see how you relate to that. So again, that's happening uh, at Bravo Theater. And this one Google and one. Is there a website that they can go to? Yes, you can uh, check us out either at sfbatco.org, sfbatco.org. Or you can also find us at brava.org. I want to thank you both for being with me today, bringing theater on the ears of KPFA. And this has been Javelin, your host, Javelin's Bistro. It's Friday night. Go to the theater. Fall in love with the magic of it all. Bye-bye. Come enjoy KPFA's 48th Annual Crafts Fair at the beautiful Craneway Pavilion on the Richmond Waterfront. We'll be broadcasting live Saturday and Sunday, December 22nd and 23rd from 9 a.m. till 11. The fair is open from 10 a.m. to 5. On display, the creations of 200 artists and craftspeople. Admission is $12 for ages 18 and 64. Seniors and disabled, just $8. And youngsters are free. For details, visit CranewayCraftsFair.com. It's a KPFA benefit. KPFA has gone social. Media, that is. Stay connected to all things KPFA by visiting our Facebook and Twitter pages, where you'll be able to get special access to additional news and information from all of your favorite KPFA news and music programs. And make sure to check out KPFA's YouTube channel for never-seen-before musical performances and past KPFA author events. KPFA knows this is your station, 